Uh, we are in our series entitled The Seven Deadly Sins. We've covered pride, we've covered envy, and today we're going to head into the most rationalized sin, which is gluttony. And as I think of gluttony, I'm reminded of this story by a man named Thomas Costain, entitled The Three Edwards. And it chronicles the life of Reynald III, a 14th century duke in the country which is now Belgium. He was grossly overweight and was called by his Latin nickname Cresus, which means fat. And like any royal family, there was strife and opposition within it. And Reynald's life was no different. Matter of fact, there was strife between uh, the brothers. He had a younger brother named Edward who had rebelled and actually overthrew Reynald. And then after Edward had captured Reynald, and instead of killing him, he decided to do something entirely different. He had him placed in a room that he had especially built for him in uh, the castle. And he promised Reynald that his title and property would be his for the taking, but only as soon as he was able to leave the room. But here's the key. The, the, the room wasn't locked. The doors were wide open. He could open it up, just walk out. There weren't any locks on the windows. So he could leave whatever, have anything back after he would just walk out of the room. The thing was, though, is that he was extremely heavy. And, and, and so what he did is that Edward actually sent him sumptuous foods every single day. Because he kept eating and eating and eating. All he had to do was stop and eating for a little bit, and he would lose a little bit of weight, and he'd be able to walk out and be freedom. He'd have to be free. Eventually, though, Edward was overthrown. Reynald was removed from there, and, but he died so quickly after because his health was so poor. But the moral of the story is what imprisoned Reynald? It, it, was, it was no bars on the outside. It was no doors. It was no locks. It was his own appetite that ended up causing his downfall, something that was within himself. And for his particular sin, it was the sin of gluttony. Now today, we're going to talk about gluttony. Uh, it's a sermon that's often the most, the most rationalized. I, as I was researching this sermon, I saw some people say it's the most overlooked, the most ignored, or even the most tolerated. And I believe it's one that we try to rationalize. But I also believe that it's a sin that many of us misunderstand. We have a certain way of equating and understanding what gluttony is, but it's actually much more broad when we really get into it. And, and, and many of us might think, oh, I know someone who's a glutton and needs to hear this message. But the reality is, as we get into it, we're going to see and, and probably see ourselves in a lot of it because we're going to see that it doesn't necessarily deal with one size. In Reynolds' case, it did, and it was his appetites. But we're going to see and expand it to help us really truly apply uh, and how we can forsake this extremely deadly sin. So today, we want to see how, what it really is. We need to also ask ourselves some questions to discover if we are, in, in fact, gluttonous. I mean, what are the signs? Is it someone's size? Is it their appetite? Or is it something more? And are there any specific passages that we can point to? These are just some of the questions that I hope that we will be able to answer today. But before we go any further, let's stop and invite the Lord our God to bless our time together as we explore what he has to say about gluttony. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to speak through the power of your word to each one of our hearts. Lord, we, we know how quickly we can turn from you. We know how often we let our appetites go. And Lord, please show us who you are. Show us how we are to live. Speak to us through your word today by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Now, as we explore what the scriptures say about gluttony, I want us to, first of all, clarify some of the confusion around it. That's the first point you need to write down. We need to clarify some of the confusion around gluttony. Now, the Bible does speak about gluttony in a handful of verses. The thing is, is it never actually defines it or says exactly what it is. It, it, it has the idea, obviously, of eating that is most uh, about it. But I want us to kind of clear the air a little bit. It's not about someone's size or if someone is heavy or uh, we would consider to be obese. That's not it. That's not the definition of it. Because you can look at someone and they might be, have simply have larger parents. Usually parents that are, are larger in size are going to have larger children and they might have a healthy appetite. They're just larger because of their genetics. And there are also some people that are extremely thin and skinny and they way overeat and yet their metabolism is extremely fat. So it doesn't have to be or not whether someone is obese. That's the first thing. So don't just look at someone and say, hey, because that guy is huge or that woman is large, they're obviously gluttons. That could be a part of it, but that doesn't necessarily indicate it. Okay? That's first thing. Secondly, it's not always about overeating. Now, that, it's a part of it, again, and that's probably the most uh, aware of it, but it's not the, the only part of it. For example, uh, Michael Phelps, we just had the Olympics, right? Michael Phelps, big time, the biggest winning Olympian in history, right? Um, I was listening to a radio program talking about him in 2008 when he was at the uh, London Olympics. Do you know how many calories this guy eats a day in order to train for the Olympics? Just to give you a rough estimate, a, a lar- an adult male is to take in about 2,000 calories a day, and that increase decreases after you get over a certain age. All right? How many calories do you think he ate? Oh, I'll tell you, 12,000 a day. 12,000 calories a day. Now, you might be like, well, he's a glutton. Now, he was burning everything off, though. He was burning it off. He was training all the time to be an Olympian. So it's not about overeating. He's eating all the time. That's a part of it. So it's not just about that, though, because you could point to him and go, oh, he's overeating. Well, he's training for an Olympic race. So it's not about his overeating there because he's burning everything off that he's got. He's doing it in order to train properly for the Olympics. Now then, you ask, well, what is it? What is then gluttony? And that's now it kind of got your attention. Well, here's what it is. Let me give you just a very short definition. It's about unrestrained overconsumption. Unrestrained, and that's the key word there, unrestrained overconsumption. Now, what does that mean for each one of us? I mean, what does that mean, overstrained overconsumption? Part of it is overeating, but it's given over to our appetites. It's going beyond not just be satiated, but it's finding and pleasure in the act more than you are supposed to. In other words, it's this. It's too much of a good thing. Too much of a good thing is what it is. Now now we see it's it's more broad than we originally understand it. Because you ever heard someone that's a glutton for punishment? You ever heard that? Maybe they, they, they want it, they delight in it, it seems like. I mean, and we can say that for a lot of things. It's, it goes beyond food. It's a little bit more than that. It is unrestrained overconsumption. Matter of fact, Proverbs talks a great deal about that, just as we saw within our passion, uh, pa- passions today. If you found honey, eat only enough for you. Honey's a good thing. It's good to taste it. It's good to enjoy it. It's a pleasurable experience. Eating is a wonderful thing. I enjoy eating just as much as the next person does. And it can be a wonderful thing. But in the passage you see there, if I eat enough only for you. You don't have, need to unrestrain or just keep eating it and eating it. 
Lest you have your fill of it and vomit up. In other words, you have too much of a good thing and your body's going to reject it. It's going to be bad for you when you have too much of a good thing. And look at the next verse, which has even a very familiar uh, ring to it here. Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house. Again, too much of a good thing, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. It's too much of a good thing. It's good to be friends with someone. It's good to be in relationship with someone. But you keep doing it too much, too much, too much, too much. And what happens? It's a bad thing. That's what it is. It's unrestrained over consumption. That's what we're looking at. Now, I, wanna, I want us to recognize the common places where gluttony is often found. Now, this isn't an exhaustive list, but I, I just want to show it to you. Um, and we have to recognize that gluttony can be found in many different arenas. Now, first of all, the primary place where gluttony is referred to in speaking about, especially within Scripture, is within the realm of eating. So it is a part of that. It definitely is. It is a play on eating. Now, again, eating's not bad in and of itself. Food does not commend us or take us away from God. Food is a good thing that we are to consume. But it's the unrestrained appetite in going after it again and again and again. It can be seen in it. Matter of fact, food is a powerful thing that we examine. Uh, it has detrimental effects when done wrongly within Scripture itself. Seriously, think about it. Let me, let me kind of read you a quote. It's on the screen here by a man named Arthur Wallace. And he wrote about this in his powerful book, God's Chosen Fast. He just talks about food in general and what it can be uh, due to us. He says here, It is said that the quickest way to a man's heart is through his what? Stomach. There we go. Evidently, Satan thought this was equally true for a woman. For it was Eve he tempted with the forbidden fruit. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, she took of its fruit and ate, and also gave some to her husband, and he ate, Genesis 3, 6. So it was, among other things, the temptation to eat that encompassed the ruin of the race. The cry of man's stomach helped to drown the voice of God in the Garden of Eden. Satan found he could make a strong appeal to the human stomach, and in the millenniums that followed, he has pursued this line with obvious success. Even Noah, a man who walked with God, fell into the trap, he planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent, Genesis 9, 20 and 21. In his old age, we find Isaac, the patriarch, despite what God had revealed to him, favoring Esau rather than Jacob for no nobler reason than the fact that his elder son supplied his father's table, table with the food that he liked, Genesis twenty five twenty eight. Esau, in turn, sold his birthright for a single meal, and for this he later forfeited also the blessing of the firstborn. Hebrews 12, 16, and 17. To what extent was Esau's challenging question for Christian parents? The sad story of God's people in the wilderness wanderings revealed a continuous record of failure along this line. Over the matter of food, they murmured, they wept, they craved, they lusted. And they quote, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and ate bread to the full? That's in Exodus 16, 3. Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt for nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic, Numbers 11, 4 through 5. And again, Numbers 21, 5. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless, worthless food, which is the manna. God's attitude in all this is brought out vividly by the psalmist. He gave them what they craved, but before they had sated their craving, the anger of God rose against them, and he slew the strongest of them and laid low the picked men of Israel, Psalm 78, 29-31. He gave them what they asked, but sent a wasting disease among them, Psalm 106, 15. 
the lust for food even reared its head in the sanctuary of God and brought a curse upon the house of Eli. God asked the aged priest with indignation, Why then look with greedy eye at my sacrifices and offerings which I commanded and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves upon the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? 1 Samuel 2.29 And Paul had some things to say to the undisciplined believers at Corinth where such evils as drunkenness and gluttony were seen in their love feasts so that it became impossible to observe the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty through 22. He reminded them concerning the history of Israel in the wilderness. Now these things are warnings for us not to desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink. 1 Corinthians 10, 6 7. And he says, sitting down to eat and drink, and the Holy Spirit calls it idolatry. So eating plays a huge part. What he's saying there is that food is powerful. It's a powerful effect on our lives, and it's an unrestrained appetite to get it. And that's the thing about food. Again, it's not about the size. It's not about the caloric intake. It's about un, it's unrestrained overconsumption, and it's built on our appetites. Now, appetites can have a good place in our lives. We are to eat and, and take care of our bodies, but it is the unrestrained part of that appetite and letting the appetite continually dictate our pleasures, the fulfillment of those appetites, and our joy. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. Now, food is the, I'm going to come back to food in a moment. It's the obvious, most obvious form of gluttony, but there are other things too. Here's another one that I think that many of us don't think about, but I think it's in, um, extremely uh, found in the West, especially in our culture right now. It's not just about eating, but it's also about entertainment. We can be gluttons with our entertainment. Matter of fact, we've had to take words that were used for food or alcohol and apply them now to entertainment. How about the word binge for a moment? Usually would be referred to as binge drinking. Someone would get totally soaked is what the word binge means. They'd be soaked completely with alcohol. Now we have binge watching. Might be your show. You're just binging. You're binging on it. You're taking it in. It's no, it's no different than the food consumption of someone who's just taking in the food. It's this constant stream of entertainment, and it's one that we're, in many ways, all guilty of, even with social media and our phones. Do you know how many of the average, the average person in the United States looks at their phone in a day? 46 times. 46 times. Now, this is up, from, up by 33 from a year before. We're constantly checking our phones and our social media. And and it's like we don't know how to turn it off any longer. We're gluttonous with our entertainment and our social media. We're we're taking it in and it's affecting us. It's causing loneliness. It's causing despair. It's causing depression. Matter of fact, sociologists and scientists are trying to understand how it's affecting the human psyche and inability to have relationships. I mean, we have become a gluttonous culture. We have 5% of the world's population, yet we consume 25% of its resources. We're constantly taking as our culture. We're gluttonous. That's what we are. Now, we should, should we apologize for being blessed? No. It comes back to, though, where, I mean, are you enjoying it or are you making an idol of it? That's a question we have to ask ourselves. And when does it become an idol? And that's what we're going to have some questions to, to know if it is an idol in our life. So we can, make it, we can be gluttonous with our entertainment. Also, we can become gluttonous in our extravagant living. 
Extravagant living. Now, in the U.S., we are consumers, and we want what we want, when we want it, and we deserve it. And again, I'm not saying we shouldn't feel guilty about being blessed and having opportunity to buy and, and, and use and have, but we must realize that this blessing comes with accountability. We are stewards, and we can be very selfish with it. As we saw earlier, the blessings of God are meant to be used uh, actually to point people to God. That's what the blessings are for. Not that so that we would forget him and kick him to the curb. For example, there are some verses that show the danger of gluttony in our lives. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 17. Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man, and he who loves wine and oil will not be rich. The idea is, again, you're just continually giving into your appetite over and over again. That I love this, I love this, I love this, and I'm a glutton for it. And then it loses your ability to exercise that most important fruit of the Spirit, which is self-control. That is something that our culture almost unrestrained any longer. I can't control myself. We're, we're become addicted to our entertainments and to the extravagant living and getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And we go into credit card debt and we get into big mortgages that we can't afford and cars and, and even college debt that we, we think, well, we're going to get this great job and we're not being realistic and understanding about these things. And it gets us into all kinds of trouble. We can be gluttonous in our extravagant living, and we can be gluttonous in our extracurricular activities. And in our culture, that's huge. And I'm talking, and it can be anything. It can be video games, it can be sports, it can be musicals, movies. It, it can be working on the shop, working on a car. It could be uh, painting. It can be anything. And we can become gluttons with that, too, because you see some, some guys, for example. I mean, you see the people that are, uh, and again, if you're, in, you're working out is great. I have no problem with working out and getting in shape. But when you see some people are, are looking at coming to church, and it's just all about the muscle. I'm working out like crazy. I'm getting healthy. I'm getting healthy. I'm getting healthy. And they look at this person who's not as healthy, and they go, you need to preach about gluttony. Look at them. You're a glutton in your workouts. You become a glutton. You become over-consuming in this exercise that you're doing. See, physical exercise is good. Matter of fact, the Bible does talk about it. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, For bodily training is of some value. It has value to get in shape, to be healthy, okay? But it's not the supreme thing. Godliness is of value in every way. It is greater but many of us have said, oh, the person looks good, they're in shape, they're great. You know what? You can make, that's glutton. You can be gluttonous with that. Again, it is not the exercise itself that's bad. Exercise is good. It is the overconsumption of it. And it becomes an idol in your life when it dictates your joy. That's how you know. And that can be anything. These are just some examples of where, where gluttony can be found. Now, here's the thing about gluttony. Some people say, well, why should I feel guilty about this? This is a good thing. You have to realize something. We all do. That gluttony is a spiritual cancer to our souls. Gluttony is a spiritual cancer to our souls. It keeps us from truly seeing God. Here's why it's cancerous. I mean, Proverbs actually speaks to this. First, Proverbs chapter 30, verse 7 through 9. Oh, God... I beg two favors from you. Let me have them before I die. First, help me to never tell a lie. Second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Have you ever prayed that prayer? Usually it's, God, make me rich. Lord, just, just bless this lottery ticket. Just this one lottery ticket, and I'll be okay. And here he's saying, no, no, no. 
Bless me neither with poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I am too poor, I may steal and thus insult your holy name. So he's saying, you don't try to want to be poor, but you don't want to try to exercise yourself in being rich either. No, Lord, just give me enough to satisfy my needs. And if you bless me with more than that, then help me be a steward of that. Steward of that. We have to be very, very careful in understanding this. It can be a spiritual cancer to our souls if we feel like we are going after and we are consuming, whether it's riches, whether it's money, whatever it is. And here's what gluttony does and why it is cancerous. First of all, it's cancerous because it spoils our appetite for God. It spoils our appetite for God. We can have too much, rely on our own abilities, and inoculate ourselves from our need for God. See, that's one of the problems that I have seen in our culture. One of the reasons that so many are turning from God, because they have, they have everything they need. Uh, I come from a small town, about 2,000 people. And uh, I came up into the Chicagoland area. I lived in Elgin for a little bit, and then I found myself in Chicago. And I was, found myself doing youth ministry after I'd done youth ministry in a, in a small town. And I found, I was surprised that after I did ministry in the city of Chicago, that the kids in Chicago were actually very similar to the kids in my hometown. Very similar in how they understood and how they processed the world. They understood that the world didn't revolve around them, surprisingly enough. But then I came out and did some ministry in Naperville. Now, if you're from Naperville, I don't mean to crack on you too hard, but I'll tell you something. Naperville was a lot harder than the other two. Why? Because they had more money than anybody else. They didn't see their need for God as much. The kids in the city and the, and the kids in the country, they understood. But it's, these other kids were almost inoculated to see their, they didn't need God. I, I knew of a ministry that was working in a suburb of Pennsylvania, one little borough right outside of Pittsburgh. And in it, this little small town has more CEOs per capita than any other town in the world. More CEOs. These are presidents of steel companies, of coal companies. And one little Baptist church was in the middle of this uh, area, and they went door to door trying to, you know, to share God with them. And one man opened the door. He goes, I have everything I need. There's nothing that you could possibly ever want to give me. And he slammed the door in their face. He's like, look how much I have. I don't need you. I don't need God. See, it can inoculate us from our need for God because we have all this stuff. And we're not thinking of the problems and things that that help bring out our need. We, we're, we're very inoculated and unaware of our need for God. We don't see death played out as it has been in previous generations. We don't like any pain whatsoever. And we're, we constantly just want to have pleasure all the time, and we think it's our right to have. And therefore, we don't understand, and we've lost our understanding of our condition before God. And again, God's blessed us. But do you think he's going to keep on blessing us if we continually just... Spend it on our own, ourselves and our own pursuits. He can take it away in a moment. Just like that. There's no guarantee that we're going to stay this way as a culture or as a country. One little thing can change it. I mean, we saw what happened with the, the housing crisis in 2008 and the mortgage crisis and how quickly people lost their homes that thought they had everything that they needed and suddenly it was gone because the foundation wasn't built properly. And we all might have suffered in many different ways. Why? Because of our gluttonous need for more. And so we mortgage more. We get more credit. We get bigger and bigger and bigger. But it's all built on a very shaky foundation. And in a moment, it's gone. And we have to understand that. We have to go back to say, what does the Word of God say? And be different than the greater culture around us. 
It spoils our appetite for God. We don't think about God when we have suddenly everything we need. Matter of fact, C.S. Lewis, uh, and I don't have this quote here, but he said, he said, pain in many ways is good because it's God's megaphone to our lives. It wakes us up when we're in pain. Think about it. Think about this for a moment. Think about the most painful moment in your life. Were you more aware of God at that moment in time? And you may or may not have been, but I'm assuming most of us would be, we were much more aware of where we were and what was going on in our lives and our need for God. See, it can spoil our appetite for God. It's not, again, it's, it's, it's not the bad that we have. It's when we take the good and it beca- when we take the good things and they become the primary things or become the God things and then they become the bad things. So that first and it spoils our appetite for God. Secondly, it steals our joy from God. It steals our joy from God. Now, see, when we are gluttons, we are looking for joy and satisfaction in other things rather than God, whether it's in Breyer's ice cream, nachos, or a steak, or a good drink, or binge TV, or social media. In fact, in researching for this message, uh, I came across another church who had done this same series, but had entitled it Kill Joys, because that's what really these deadly sins are. They're killing your joy, and they're trying to direct it in something else. We have to find our joy in God. Because really, the seven deadly sins at the end of the day are nothing more than thieves taking us away from finding true and lasting joy and placing our joy and satisfaction on something else that, God, that cannot give it. Thirdly, gluttony shifts our focus from the eternal to the temporal. It, focus our, our, it shifts our focus from the eternal to the temporal. We can look at this in Philippians chapter 3. Verse 17 through 21. Brothers, this is Paul writing by the Spirit. Joining, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. In other words, follow us is what he's saying. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears. There are these that are walk as enemies. They live. That's what walk usually means. It's, it's kind of a metaphor for how we live our life. They live their life as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. In other words, they're ruled by their earthly, sinful appetites. Now again, our appetites are good unless they become unrestrained. You have to keep them in. It's just like with with the sexual desire. We've talked about this. That it's a good desire to have. It's a good desire. It's great. In my house, I have a fireplace. I put wood in the fireplace, and it's great in the fireplace. Now I take that log out that's on fire, and I I put it in the middle of my living room, and my whole house burns down. It's when it comes out of the arena in which God intended it to be, I have now unrestrained that appetite and put it in an arena where it destroys my life. And we all know about this. Think about this with the, with the, the, the person who's a drunk. Is it wrong to have a drink? No. No. It's not. The Scripture doesn't condemn that. What's wrong? Many oftentimes the environment in which it occurs and drunkenness is the problem. And that's where it affects people. It's, again, overconsumption of it. See what I'm saying here is that God has given directions to enjoy life and enjoy what he's given us. These are enjoyable things. It's it's enjoyable to have a good drink or it's enjoyable to have a good meal. Again, but it's the overconsumption of it and going back again and again and again and again. That's the problem. And he says their end is their destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. They're focused on now, now. 
And we have to understand that it's, we're to think not just on the temporal, but on the eternal. And, and who Jesus and who Jesus is. When your God is your belly, you're only thinking about gratifying your appetite in the here and now. You're not thinking about God. So if we're to root out gluttony, how are we to do that? Well, here I have, uh, we need to adopt some checks to see if we're gluttonous. So here's some checks for us all. Honestly, this message was very hard for me because I found myself going, I'm a glutton. I'm a glutton in different areas of my life. I feel very convicted about this. Uh, and I still am. And I'm, I'm wrestling with this because this is hard. This is hard truth that we need to follow. Here's the first one. I'm going to ask, you can ask yourself, or we can ask ourselves this question. What determines my happiness? What determines my happiness? What is it? What determines your happiness? What do you need to get? When you're a glutton, you think about whatever that is all the time. That'll make me happy. That'll bring me peace. That'll bring me comfort. Whether it's food, you're thinking about what food you're going to eat and where. You may even have a, you might even daydream about it. You may eat out all the time, always getting the richest food, or you just need that drink to relax and but it turns into two or three or four, and you think that it will make you happy or at least dull the pain. What determines my happiness? Second question is this. What distracts my heart? What distracts my heart? Where do I go to unwind all the time? Is it your phone? Are you flipping through that? I'm just going to go to this sports thing. I'm just going to turn on Sports Center and just turn my mind off of it. Again, not a bad thing in of itself the overconsumption of it. I mean, it can be with fantasy teams. It can be with going to anything, any event, demolition derby, whatever it is, you're going all the time and it's ruling your life and you're using that as a crutch to get through life. It distracts your heart. I mean, what do I go to unwind all the time? Is it being a couch potato so you can drown out the world with some Downton Abbey or perhaps Sports Center? Or maybe it's a bowl of ice cream or comfort food. Again, it's good to have these things. Food is nutritious and is great to eat. And, and we're to celebrate. God even gives feasts to people who would eat and enjoy themselves. And it's to be enjoyed, but it is the overconsumption of it, and it starts to preoccupy our thoughts and take us away from God. The next question is what we do, where, where we go to what we believe dictates who I am. Here's the, what dictates who you are. See, this comes back to identity. We have a tendency to wrap our identities on how much we eat, drink, or don't eat, or don't drink, or what restaurants we go to or don't go to, or what we don't want, or what you fill in the blank. We feel we may, need to, we may need it to get by, need it to survive, whatever it is. But the truth is, is that we don't. Food does not commend us to God. It doesn't make us who we are, but God does. And it might be working out. It might be the in-shape person, the workout warrior, the Pilates princess, or the CrossFit king. Or you may be into video games or movies or TV shows or sports, fill in the blank. You believe that without it, whatever it is, you are less than a person if you don't do it. And here's a third, uh, fourth question. What demands my money? Because if it's an idol, it's going to demand your time and it's your hours. It might consume your time and your money, but also will consume your hours. But if you're a glutton, you need to find a way to consume, whether that means eating out all the time, buying a certain type of alcohol, or getting the right workout stuff. You're going to keep putting money into it to get better and better and better and better and better. Again, Hobbies aren't bad. The overconsumption. It may not even be the money that is demanded. And I guarantee if it isn't your money that is demanded, it will demand time. It will consume your hours. What are you ordering your life around? What are you spending your money on that is preventing you from giving to God? That's a great way. Is this keeping me 
from walking and serving God the way that I feel God has called me to walk and serve with God? Does that mean my giving? Has your hobby then prevented you from giving then to God? Is it prevented you from some type of service? It might even affect you physically where you can't even do certain services for God because of that, because of your continual practice of it. Demands my money. Now, which leads me to my last question, and this is where we come into the rationalized sin. What do I defend at all costs? See, here's the thing about it. Whenever your idol is questioned, and gluttony really is a form of idolatry, when we, when we are questioned about it, we will defend it and find ways to excuse it. That's what our nature is. And we all do it. I've done it too. Why do you have to watch that show? You know what? I just need to relax right now. I just... I, I just need to stop and think I'm really stressed out. That's fine to watch one show. You've watched 18 of them. You know, I'm just stressed out. <laughs> you know, it's not wrong to have a bowl of ice cream. Why'd you have four of them? You know, it's just, I really needed that extra dairy. And, and we do this, though. We rationalize it. We all do this in one way or another. And we have to come back and say, okay, Lord, what do you want to do here? How do, how, do I, and how do we keep ourselves from defending it? And that's only a question you can ask yourself. See, if we're to fight against gluttony, then it's time for us to identify the changes we need to make. We have to identify the changes we need to make. And I'm going to give you three. And, and again, not exhaustive, but I found that these have helped work for me and my own life. And I think that they can work for, me, work for you as well. Um, and again, not that I've done these perfectly. I haven't, but uh, they've helped guide me. First of all is this. The first change that we have to understand, uh, and if, uh, for us to practice this, we have to practice, first of all, self-control. That's what it comes back to. And if you're a Christian, the moment that you trusted in Jesus as Savior and Lord of your life, that you placed your faith in him and what he did on the cross for you, God then gives you his spirit to live the life that he wants you to live. And one of the fruits or characteristics that you are a child of God is that you have the ability now to say no to that sin. You have the ability to say no. You have self-control. You have self-control. Uh, my wife is constantly, my, my uh, son, who's, you know, he's uh, six years old, and he's, he's always uh, touching things he's not supposed to touch and getting around people and, and just bumping into things. He's a typical boy. And my wife is, say, is constantly saying to him, you've lost self-control. See, one of the characteristics of being mature, especially as a believer in Christ, is the ability to control oneself to say no to sin. You can't say the devil made me do it or I just couldn't help myself. No. You believe the lie. Because now if you, have the, if you have the Holy Spirit within you, you have the ability to say no to that sin, to say no to that second bite of food, to say no to watching that other series or binge watching or getting into that workout thing. Because many oftentimes we're finding our identity in those things and we build our identity around those things and not in Jesus. Because we don't think that Jesus is sufficient. But he is. He is. So we have to, first of all, understand that we are to practice self-control. Secondly, it may mean simplifying our lives. Now, what does that mean? If you are, let's say, that you are a gluttonous consumer, you might need to get rid of some things. It's become an idol to you. Uh, maybe you have all of this stuff that you've acquired. Maybe you need to give it away. Maybe you're a glutton when it comes to fashion. Maybe you need to open up your closet and reduce it to maybe a few outfits. You're like, I can't do that. Well, now it's an idol. Now you know it's an idol in your life. 
And, and that could be for anything. It could be the tools that you have. It could, be, it, it could be, hey, maybe I need to not be at the gym so many times, and I need to reorient my life back to God, it, whatever it might be. For simplifying for food, maybe you, you need to say, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this list of what I should buy, and I'm going to make sure that someone's going to hold me accountable for this list when I go to the grocery store so that I'm not continually buying, buying, buying. I'm going to simplify it. or I'm, gonna, I'm not going to get all of these different things. I mean, it can mean many different things. And a third step we need to take is by practicing the spiritual disciplines, namely fasting. Now, I, saw, I showed you a verse before. It said, uh, physical training has of some value, but godly training has, has much more value. We are to train ourselves to be like Jesus. And that's through spiritual disciplines, reading the Bible, learning how to pray, learning how to control our bodies. And one of the ways that we do that is through the practice of fasting. Now, again, uh, let, me, let me put a little caveat on fasting. You can fast and become a glutton for fasting. Anything can be used as an idol. You can go to extremes one way or the other. All right? And it doesn't commend you to God. It doesn't make you more spiritual. It is one of the means by which we can, though, train ourselves uh, for godliness. And if you learn to fast, you're learning to say no to food. And that teaches you to say no to other things in your life. It's very interesting that I find fasting often connected in very close proximity of verses of sexuality and sexual desire. Because if you learn to say no to food desires, you can say no to sexual desires, which are very powerful. Very powerful go hand in hand. And you could say no to any sin when you learn how to fast. You learn how to deny yourself. And again, it's not denying bad things. Fasting is not denying bad things. It's denying ourselves good things for a certain period of time. And I, I highly recommend it. Matter of fact, we're, we're looking as a church to uh, have an extended fast. And it could be, fasting can be done for many things, social media, entertainment, certain types of food, sugars. But primarily, just like with gluttony, primarily it's found within eating. Primarily in Scripture, it's found with not eating food. And it can be done. It it's been done by several who have testified to the, the benefits of fasting. And again, if you're hypoglycemic, diabetic, or you're pregnant or nursing, I wouldn't recommend it for you if you have a medical condition. But if you can, it's something that you should consider. I like how uh, Rebecca DeYoung tells us why we should fast. Uh, professor at Calvin College, she says, The primary aiming, aim of fasting in to make, is to make us conscious of our dependence on God. If we always take our fill of food and drink, we easily grow confident or confidence in our own abilities, acquiring a false sense of autonomy and self-sufficiency. The observance of a physical fast undermines this sinful complacency. Or as Richard Foster uh, wrote, who has probably written more about fasting more than any other modern person, he says, more than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. If you fast... You will think you will find how much you think about food in a day, and it will you'll be amazed. I need that caffeine. For those that are just caffeine junkies, take that caffeine away. You're going to get headaches. You're going to have pain. You're going to have an inability to think for a couple days, and you're going to think about it all the time. Even with food, you're going to drive by a restaurant, and suddenly restaurants you paid no attention to that you may not not like the food at all. You'll think about it. You're like, wow, White Castle's looking very good today. You know, you're going to think about it. You are. And you're going to, it's going to come up because you're going to realize how much food is a part of your life. I mean, for, for crying out loud, we give directions by restaurants. It's what we do. It has a powerful effect on us. 
And it's a wonderful benefit to the true disciple who longs to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We cover up what is inside of us with food and other things. If pride controls us, it will be revealed almost immediately. David, King David, said, I humbled my soul with fasting, Psalm 35, 13. Anger, bitterness, jealousy, strife, fear, if they are within us, they will surface during fasting. At first, we will rationalize that our anger is due to our hunger. And then, when we know that we are angry because the spirit of anger is within us, we can rejoice in this knowledge because we know that healing is available through the power of Jesus Christ. So let me conclude with this. Are you a glutton? I know after going through this, I am. But I can't rationalize it. And neither can you. Let me say that the only true power to change is through Jesus Christ. His death on the cross was sh- sh- uh, showed that sin was defeated. And, that he- and his resurrection showed that death has been reversed and sin cannot hold us forever. It is because of the resurrection that we now can have the Holy Spirit made available to us to help us lead lives pleasing to God. Do you want to change? Run to the cross, cast yourself on Him. He will give you His Spirit, and He will help you live the life God has for you. Reynold was held in prison because of his appetites, and so are many of us. We can only find freedom through what Jesus did. And that through the power of the Spirit working within us, we can say no to sin and yes to righteousness and discipline ourselves to live lives that are pleasing and glorifying in God's sight. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this message, although it is painful. Lord, help us to understand how to apply the truth of your word. Not to get too much honey, lest we vomit it up, or, Lord, to have that too much of a good thing. But help us learn how to restrain and direct our appetites, that we can fulfill them, yes, and enjoy the good gifts that you have given us, but not let them take away, take us away from our complete devotion to you. So, Lord, if there are gluttons here today, Lord, I pray that you help them see that power is made available. And that power, if they are a true believer in you, is already there within them. Help them learn how to tap into that uh, self-control. The power of the Spirit is working in and through them. For those that are gluttons when it comes to their entertainment, or maybe it's how they live their lives and how they spend their money or the image that they're trying to portray, and uh, Lord, whatever it might be, Lord, help us to forsake that gluttony, to simplify our lives, that your name may radiate from us. So, Lord, please glorify your name in our lives. We ask you to bless us and use us now. In Jesus' name, amen.